welcome to Jag Bags, a discussion of all things pop culture. I'm Mike Beyer. And I'm Shirtless Lenny. And welcome to the sexy program. <laughs> you are listening live from the home studios in Woodridge, Illinois. The crowd is electric and ready for podcasting excellence. And a little attendance in the woo today. Pretty impressive. That is great. And uh, you're in the right place because we've got a fantastic recap episode for you. There's so much going on. We're glad you're here. We're going to talk MLB and the resurgent Cubs and the puzzling guardians. Uh, we're going to talk WNBA and uh, how the Chicago Sky are adjusting to uh, their rudderless coaching position, but yet they seem to be um, handling it. I recommend where Len and I will recommend something to improve your life, uh, whether it is a TV show, a kind of bicycle, uh, perhaps a, uh, a park bench that w- we sat in over the weekend and found enjoyable. Something that- Little post-show respite is what I called it. Yes. Something that we will recommend for you. Uh, we'll also do Rolling Stones top 500 albums of all time. Double um, digits. Where Beav is now safely in the double digits. We can't even say, you know, like just entering. We're safely inside. Um, and Len's favorite 500 albums of all time, where uh, we'll go through all that for you, the lucky Jag Bags listener. And we're going to switch it up tonight. You Normally, for MLB, we start with the Cubs. But I'm going to start with the Guardians because there's been a trade. Can and... I say something real quick before I start? Oh, yes, of course. Before we do this, Beave is normally very mild-mannered, but he's got two stressful things going on lately. One, we'll talk get to in a minute, talking about the Guardians. Two is... With the upcoming Jag Bags night at Lionel Richie and Earth, Wind, and Fire, B will have seen me three weekends in a row. This so is please stress. have this some is, patience with him. This is pretty stressful. I, yeah. I, I do have to say, Jag Bags night at Earth, Wind, I can't decide what to wear. That's what I, <laughs> my main thing. Um, wear an outfit that is all scarves. Ooh. There you go. I don't want to steal your idea. I mean, I, I, I know you're wearing like all pink, uh, um, you know, kind of scarves and a uh, kind of a felt um, hat kind of thing. With actually, I'm dressing up as the woman from the Hello video. So. <laughs> oh God! I'm sure that'll be well received. Very well received. That will be. If this crowd is anything like the Prince crowd, we're going to see some. Uh, People that are very decked out. Really? Yeah. We uh, I went to see Prince at the United Center. Um, it was the last time he was in Chicago. And I went with our friend of the podcast, Bruce Hollett. And uh, first of all, the most depressing thing ever happened to us. We were eating dinner. We got, some, we got a little dinner beforehand at a place like it was, it was steps away. I can't, I can't remember the name of the restaurant, but it was steps away from the United Center there on uh, on Madison. It was some other 
place also on Madison. And we're sitting there and our waitress was probably about, you know, a good, you know, 25 years younger than us. And we're sitting there, you know, and I got my like khaki pants on and like a button down shirt, you know, and uh, Bruce is dressed about the same. And our waitress comes up to us and says, no, you guys going to the Prince concert tonight? And it was, you know, it was very hurtful. That was very a hurtful thing that she said. Uh, because, uh, you know, Bruce was like, uh, I'm dressed very dangerously and provocatively. <laughs> and uh, I, don't, I don't appreciate the, um, the, uh, uh, the cutting remark. But, uh, but we got there and the Prince uh, concert was, there were some people that were, they were not messing around. They were uh, clearly outfits that were selected specifically for that occasion and um so like I, a jag bags t-shirt or something like that yes. mm -hmm. is that what you're getting at okay. yeah jag bags kind of plush velour kind of ensemble you know matching pants um a uh well, you gotta start selling those jag bags velour jumpsuits i think oh maybe are, add those to the that's a catalog i think i'm gonna wear my jag bags cape is what i oh thinking. yeah uh, I'm thinking a jag bags cape with a jag bags cane and my jag bags pinky ring, which will just be a big JB right there on the pinky. Um, and I'll be sitting right next to you dressed up as the girl from the hello video. I mean, we're going to make so many new friends. We are going to meet people. I just need to. So oh, Bailey will probably call us on stage. Uh, obviously. Um. Well, if if not, he'll definitely shine the spotlight on us and say, "Beave, Len, welcome. Only you understand our art," and uh, and that's true, and that's very true. Who's opening for who? I don't know. I think it might be Earth, Wind, and Fire opening for Lionel Richie, from what I read, but I'm I'm not hundred percent on that. I mean, I guess that's fair because Lionel Richie was the bigger star, no doubt. Also, I think Earth, Wind, and Fire is missing Maurice White, so that's a huge loss. Um, but uh, now I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to uh, the concert and seeing you three weekends in a row. <laughs> More importantly. Eve is deep in therapy right now. <laughs> this is true. My therapist says it's good for me. Socialization is good for me. Even... Uh, even with but then a, you said with Len, you said, well, maybe not all socialization. We, you might need another session before Saturday, <laughs> the, Saturday the Saturday show. Uh, and uh, that'll be a good time. And we'll have a full report on Jag Bags Night at the United Center, um, where uh, Mr. Lionel Richie will uh, no doubt uh, uh, have a special uh, new song that he's written for the occasion called Let Me Be the Jag to Your Bag. Um, <laughs> and uh, so that should, yeah. be, that should be a, a, a fine evening. And uh, and we'll have a full report next weekend. Um, so yeah, that's, that's one rant um, that I have. The second rant, but I'm taking a philosophical view of the whole situation. Uh, and in fact, I think I can turn this to my advantage. Because, um, as you as you may have known, the Guardians today traded uh, Aaron Savale, who is currently their best pitcher. 
um, who just had twirled six masterful shutout innings against the Sox on Sunday, traded him to the first place Tampa Bay Rays uh, and for a minor league uh, first baseman, a, a major prospect. We'll get to that prospect in a second. Um, now, the Guardians are currently a half game behind the Minnesota Twins. The Twins just were swept by the Kansas City Royals (laughs) over the weekend. The Royals, with that sweep, now have won. It's August 1st. They have won 32 games this season. 32. And it's August 1st. So they are awful. (laughs) And they just swept the Twins. I mean, the division is there for the taking. And I two things, I guess, one... Uh, the Guardians apparently met with Aaron Savali's agent and said, uh, Regency Van Pelt, and said, well, <laughs> we can't meet Regency's demands. <laughs> we better get rid of Aaron Savali now. But I'm taking the long view of this because the, and I'm going to instead treat today as the beginning of the Kyle Manzardo era. Kyle Manzardo. Who is that? Manzardo is the Guardians' new first baseman. That's who they got from Tampa. And so today is going to be a day that everyone in Cleveland will remember. Where were you when the Guardians got Manzardo? Right. Uh, it's the beginning. Uh, we need a good nickname for Manzardo because this is the guy who's going to break the drought. Manzardo. Yeah, I think going so. To lead us to glory. Not this year, of course. He's still in the minors and uh, he's hurt. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah. And uh, if you Google Kyle Manzardo, go to images, the pictures that you'll see will just truly inspire confidence. You're like, this is the guy. Red Rifle who? Uh, Excuse me. Manzardo. Excuse me. That's how much I believe in Manzardo. And whenever somebody tries to tell me, uh, you know, that uh, the Guardians don't have a prayer, I'm just going to type or respond in all caps, Manzardo. (laughs) A couple of exclamation points. Uh, Can I ask you though? Didn't they do something like this a couple of years ago? Was it almost the same situation? I they, think it was uh, them and the White Sox were both near the top, and the Guardians traded somebody who was pretty good, like right at the deadline. For it, just do they not have any money? Is that why this always happens? I know Dolan is always accused of being a cheapskate, and uh, well, there are two schools of thought. One is that. You know that you know that he's Dolan is such a skinflint, Paul Dolan, the the owner of the Guardians. Um, Our that, viewers are googling what does skinflint mean as we talk. That means that means he doesn't like to spend money. Though I love the word skinflint. Um, but the second is that Savale who has been made of glass 
for the last two seasons, constantly hurt, has finally shown, hey, uh, they, they wanted to get rid of him all along. And and now that he, since he's come back uh, from his latest injury, he's been fantastic. I mean, really fantastic. And uh, showing the pitcher that um, he was on his way to winning 20 games, I think it was back in 22. He had 10 wins and it wasn't even July. And he was on a 20 game win pace and got hurt and, and continued to lead the American league in wins for like the next month, even though he hadn't pitched a game. I mean, that's how well he was doing, but then he just had, can't stay healthy. And um, so the theory is, Hey, he's got some good games under his belt there. If some teams are um, sniffing around, let's get rid of him. I don't understand the need to get rid of him, uh, but maybe they think this guy can't stay healthy. But I'm looking forward to watching the future American League Cy Young Award winner and World Series MVP do his thing for Tampa. Uh, as Savali is uh, undoubtedly going to uh, run the table for the Rays and lead them to their first world championship. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, basically, what I'm saying is that I am furious uh, about this trade. There's no reason for it. I don't understand. Usually they make good moves and usually their moves pay off. They really need, I, I admit that they definitely need uh, another bat in the lineup, whether it's as a DH, they'll, they can move Naylor to the DH spot. Naylor is legit. That guy's great. He's going to drive in a hundred runs this year, probably hit about 25 to 30 home runs and his average is above 300. So I think he's legit arrived. And if you move Naylor to that DH spot um, and you could move, say it with me, everyone, Manzardo into the first base position. Manzardo is known as a guy who is like a, a he's a line drive hitter. So he's never going to hit 40 home runs, but he could hit 15 to 20, but he could get you like 30 to 40 doubles. As is the optimist's view. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, um, you know, uh, that's the thinking. Um, he's a young guy, so you can keep him under control. He was ranked as the fourth highest prospect in the entire Tampa minor league system. So he was a guy that, um, you know, they had high hopes for. Uh, some of the more knowledgeable Tampa fans uh, on the athletic where I go for my Tampa Bay Rays fan content uh, are upset about the trade. Uh, they're like, Manzardo was doing great. Why do, why are we getting rid of this guy for who? Um, so that makes me feel a little bit better, but they're a half game out They're They are a half a game out of first place. That's why. Yeah. That's why I had to check the schedule. I mean, the standings, because I was like, why are they trading this guy? I, I thought you guys were four or five out. No, and we were. Nope. We were, and then the Twins com completely collapsed <laughs> over the weekend. Uh, this is not a juggernaut the Guardians are chasing. Yeah. Um, you know, it's I, frustrating. I think the Guardians' problems, uh, Ramirez is starting to get really hot. He... Uh, 
he had two home runs against the Sox on Thursday night, I think, and then two more on Sunday. So he's starting to heat up. And uh, Quan is rounding into form. Uh, Bell is still a huge disappointment. Jimenez is still a huge disappointment. The rookies are pitching great, especially my, my man Bibby, even though it's pronounced Bibby. I prefer Bibby. Bibby looks great. Uh, Williams looks great. Allen looks great. Those are three rookies. And then they'll get McKenzie back. And then they'll get the finest pitcher of all time, Kent Quantrill. He's set to come off the DL. And then uh, and then it's, if can the Guardians fix Noah Syndergaard? I say no way at all, but um, maybe. And then uh, it's time to let the, they're going to, they're obviously letting the kids play. Because mm-hmm. they got rid of Rosario, traded him for Syndergaard. Um, I had no problem with that, honestly. So now they're going to let Eric Gabriel Arias and Tyler Freeman battle it out for that shortstop position. They both are ready. They have nothing more to prove in the minors. You got to let them play. And they'll duke it out and see who's better. And then maybe you can flip one of those guys and get another, you know, good pitcher or, you know, shore up the bullpen a little bit. Um, they have to move the right guy. And, and then there's a third shortstop, Raccio, who is a, apparently by all accounts, this guy is also ready too. So they got to find a spot for him. So they're going to, I think the long, they, they might play in the long game and just being like, even if we win the division, I mean, are we really going to beat, you know, Houston or, or, you know, the Yankees or the the Red Sox are now really hot or Baltimore, Baltimore uh, is a wild card. I, you know, so, you know, if the, the guardians win, they'll have to play one of those teams. And I don't know. I just don't, I just don't. But as a fan, you don't want your team to give up (laughs) like half a game out of first. I know. Regardless of their prospects for winning the world series. Maybe and they, we talked about this, I think, a couple weeks ago. Something might happen in the playoffs. Maybe they know something we don't. And like maybe they're like, okay, Bieber is coming back and we want to be uh set for so he'll be in the mix. And those young guys are gonna hit a wall though. They cannot keep throwing Bibby and Williams and Allen out there. These guys pretty soon they're gonna hit their they haven't pitched this much. I mean, they have to be shut down. I would think. Um, maybe they can. Maybe they can. So, strange, strange doings in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. That's the name of my new show. Strange doings in Cleveland. Yeah. Um, let's talk of happier things. Let's talk about the Lens' first diagnosed case of Cubs fever. Finally, I was. Oh. <laughs> I was waiting. I was waiting. They finally got over 500. Yeah. They're, uh, we talked about this last week about how the Sox and the Cardinals series were, those were big, big series to determine. Yeah, or else Bellinger would be on the Yankees and Stroman would be on the Astros. So, right. Yeah. And instead, and Stroman rewarded us today by giving up six runs. So. <laughs> <laughs> he's so happy to be here that he uh well, well it's six to it's six to four and the reds don't have good pitching 
this is they've been winning mainly with their offense so it's not like the cubs can't come back it's only the fourth inning but I mean, this is interesting because this is another big series for the cubs yeah it's this is what i said i was talking to our baseball expert anthony deandre and and brian via text today yeah and i told them i'm nervous now because <laughs> they they were like we're gonna stand pat and now and it's perfectly lined up the reds are four games ahead of us and we're playing four games against them i mean yeah it comes the cubs have to so if they take three out of four then they move to two back right no one back if they take three out of four yeah right uh, i well maybe i think it's <laughs> Because okay, four minus they, three is four minus three is one. Okay, but all right, hear me out. Say that <laughs> unless the Brewers, no, I guess if the Brewers kept winning, I don't know. They win tonight, and they're three back. Mm-hmm. They win tomorrow night, they're two back. They win the next night, they're one back. So they'd they be lose, two back. They lose that fourth game. So they'd be two. You're right. They'd be two back. And they're two back. Right. So you'd be right. But if they win that fourth game, then they're tied. Right. 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 I'm 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 just I'm doing my math out loud. That's how I I I, I didn't study. No, you're right. You're right. I don't know what I was thinking. I didn't study math beyond uh, No, no, you're right. That was my fault. Tenth grade. Um, but yeah, big and, series. And then I get the text that they're looking for Candelario. Yeah. Get uh, Candelario. Yep. And Candelario last year was not good, but he's been pretty a pretty good player over his career. And then this year, you bounce back from his bad year at the Tigers with the Nationals. He has 48 extra base hits, good, 30 good. doubles, two triples, 16 homers. So he's basically our probably our second best power hitter behind Bellinger. Who did they give up for uh, Candelario? Two pretty good prospects. We're, we talked about that, too. Two top 20 prospects because what Anthony said was eight teams were talking about getting him. Right. And the Cubs looked at Wisdom and Madrigal and Mastroboni and said, we need a third baseman. And we need some power. I mean, Wisdom has power, but he never gets any hits. The only thing, he's sitting 190. So, and Ross doesn't seem to like Wisdom. I feel like he, even when Wisdom has a good game, he's on the bench the next day. So, well, they, pretty- they must have really thought that was an issue. Yeah. But what they really could have used was a a good reliever. And I guess they're trying to get the Pirates closer, I think. But that I don't think that's happened. So, because I don't trust, I don't trust our bullpen. I mean, Alesley, I kind of trust now because he's been really sharp. Like when uh, I went to the game a couple weeks ago, he looked his stuff looked really good, and I watched him pitch on TV, and he, he yeah, he looks he looks good. But yeah, that might be their, that might be their downfall is their setup guys, right? Well, they need uh, that's their maybe that's their next move. Um, yeah, bullpen you can never have too many bullpen arms, mm-hmm. and uh, so uh, exciting times. And, uh, yeah, very. I mean, 
let's talk about last, last week. They won like every game. They they the Talkman catch. That was unbelievable. 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 The Cardinals fans were like, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Talk about a talk about uh I'm trying to come up with an image that isn't like a knife to the gut. Um, something a little uh, uh more podcast friendly, but uh, that's tough. Yeah. That was yeah, about a punch in the gut, probably better. And like Wainwright, all of a sudden's terrible. Yeah. And even with Arenado and Goldschmidt, they can't beat anybody. I, mean, I think they even I think they even traded somebody pretty good recently. So even the Cardinals and the Cardinals, have they ever done this? Have they ever given up on a season? Not that I can remember. They're always adding. And also, another thing too. Actually, they they had two great catches. Suzuki made that great catch against the Sox last week. Yep. Because Mankato had had a grand slam. And they always have problems with the Sox. And the Cardinals are the Cardinals. And they won every game but one. It's just, you can't have a better week than that. Plus, they, like, like I said, you don't play well. Bellinger, Stroman, gone. Possibly somebody else, too. Possibly some some other guys that they don't some veterans. Yeah. So the news couldn't have been better. So I'm hoping they come back and win this game today. <laughs> yeah. Right. There's bound to be some hiccups on the road, but it feels like they're really on the right path, and uh, that they've seemed to have figured out something. And uh, because. They did what contenders do. When you play a team that's not very good, you you either sweep them or you take three or four. You you don't mess around and like drop a critical. These are games you should win, and the great teams sweep. So very encouraging. Amazing. One of the honestly, one of the best weeks the Cubs ever had. Yeah. They're two rivals and just dominate them. And with with the season, you know, on the line. Yeah, yeah. So can't come up more clutch than that. Big and clutch. Well, I think the stage is set. The Reds are up six to four in the fourth, but that's just set for late inning heroics, um, led by a uh, a something with somebody somebody with something to prove, as in Patrick Wisdom, a three run bomb pinch hit. <laughs> By the way, Syndergaard is shutting out the Astros in the sixth. Now that I just said that, he will give up fifty-two runs. <laughs> but, uh, but Guardians up two zip. Uh, let's. Anything else on MLB? Well, the White Sox. We should at least mention Ugh. they pretty much gave up. They traded all their pitchers. Joe Lito, who is there, he was he's been good this year. Yeah. I like him. So I hope he does well. Yeah. Lance Lynn's been awful. So getting rid of him doesn't really change anything. 
I don't even know who he's want part of the reason why you're in the position you're in. Yes. But I guess they're going to keep, they're not going to get rid of Dylan Cease. I agree with that. And Robert, which is smart. Also, they still have Eloy too. They didn't trade Eloy and, or Tim Anderson. But mm-hmm. Tim Anderson's been bad this year. So he's shown some signs recently of coming out of it. And so. I thought they were going to get rid of Moncada. But it looks like he hasn't been moved either. I don't think anyone wants Moncada. They gave up Chris Sale for that guy. Moncada is underachiever and he's always hurt. Yeah. So I don't think anyone's like, oh, he's going to he's gonna help us. Moncada was like, that's when they got rid of Sale. Every, all the Red Sox fans like, why did we trade Moncada? That was the future. But uh, yeah, maybe he needs a fresh start somewhere. Um, he's like he's like a lot of those White Sox guys, though. They get hurt all the time. You don't know what you're going to get out of them. Right. So if you're going to trade one of your best prospects, you want to get somebody who you're more confident will do something for you. Right, right. I mean, Mankata's only really had one good year in his career. No, two good years. Yeah. He was good in 2021, and he was good in – he was really good in 2000. He was gr- actually great in 2019. Yeah, that's the thing. But last year, he hit 212. This year, he's in 229. Awful. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, I probably, you know, people are offering, like, poo-poo platters to the Sox for Moncada, and, and uh, Han doesn't want to uh, – you know, get rid of them for pennies on the dollar. But if you don't, then you're kind of stuck with the guy. It's a, it's a rough one. Would you want Mankata? I'd take him. I'd take him. I wouldn't. For the, for, the right, uh, for the right price, you know, if I didn't have to give up too much, why not take a chance? And uh, if uh, he doesn't work out, then you... I guess if you were desperate for a third baseman, maybe, but... Cut him loose. I mean, I... The Guardians could use a, a power bat. So, you know, you just make Moncada your DH. He's no worse than Josh Bell, so who has been a massive disappointment. Um, he's the same type of guy, Josh Bell. Him and Moncada are the same. Right. Because you always like, think are going to turn the corner and then nothing happens. Then they don't, yeah. It was uh, not a good move for the Guardians. Their two front office moves of the offseason both have not panned out. Been very disappointing. Yeah, the, the front office usually so good with moves and trades, and uh, I'm they haven't been lately. They really haven't. So yeah, they might have gotten some decent players for Julito and Lynn. So yeah, I think they the maybe they'll maybe those guys will help them in the future. Those were the Angels' top uh, prospects. So mm-hmm. never know. But yeah, the season looks uh, well. The season is over unless these uh, new people that they uh, bring in are all of a sudden amazing, um, or the people that they call up. But that's doubtful. Yeah. Um... I'm looking to the see. Angels are just like, please don't leave, Otani. 
please. <laughs> We're trying. I know, right? They got like Grichuk. Remember him? He was on the Cardinals before. Yep. They traded for him and some other guys. They're just getting anybody. Right. Please, let's make the playoffs. I mean, they got to do something. I, the Angels, it's incredible that they really have not done anything since winning it all. And that was now tw- 20 years ago. 21 years, yeah. It was 2002. They made it back to the ALCS against in 05 against the Sox. Oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Lost. The A.J. Persinski game. Yes, the famous... Uh, Josh Paul. Right. Yeah. So... But I looked at their lineup today, the Angels. I mean, yesterday's box score, I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> it's like Otani and everybody else is terrible. Yeah, there's... I saw, like, Joe DiMaria is in there and... uh uh, Anthony Turnus, and uh, they just got a. That's their lineup. That's their lineup. <laughs> they, just, they really got to. They upgrade. just took people we know and put them in a the lineup. Yeah, they really got to upgrade that lineup. Uh, Ernie well, Deke. Joe Guerra is struggling tonight. Right. Ernie Deke is 0 for 3. <laughs> Ernie Deke, who has never played baseball in his life. And the Angels think he's really got something on the ball. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, Anything else on MLB? Nope. Fingers crossed that all these moves work for the Cubs. And yeah. we can talk about the playoffs in October. Go Cubs. Um, let's move to the WNBA, mm-hmm. where uh, the sky can seem to be running in place a little bit. Uh, yeah. Yesterday was that their... Eight- at eighth spot. Yesterday was one of their best games of the year. But it's it's the Mercury are a bad team. Right. Brittany Griner wasn't playing. And you you always look good when you're making every shot. Sure. But that doesn't you're what I when I'm watching it, I'm like, that's great. But is this gonna work when you're missing shots is this the right offense you're running right there it wasn't that bad yesterday there was a few shots that i thought were my turn shots yeah where someone on the team is like oh i haven't shot yet so i'm i don't care i'm gonna shoot here right but they just they were on fire so the problem is their next two games are against dallas which is a team Early in the year, wasn't playing real well, but now they're they're looking pretty good, and they play them two in a row. So, on the other hand, you know you got to look at these games and be like, hey, if we can beat them even once, that does something for our confidence. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, we're better we're a better team than we've shown, and we just beat a good team, especially if they can do it in Dallas. Um, because Dallas has a home record of nine and three, so they're they're tough at home. Yeah, but the, the Sky don't have a point guard. Yeah, like it's hard to talk about her, but if we still had Sloot, yes, she would keep all these scorers happy. Right, but when you're 
point guards are Mabry, who's not a point guard. She's a volume shooter. Yep. And Copper has the ball in her hands a lot, and Copper is not a passer. But Copper has been shooting the ball so well. Mm -hmm. So I know I kind of get on her a lot, but her shooting this year has been really good. She's... And then Courtney Williams kind of plays like a point guard, but that's not what she's supposed to do. Right. It's like, and that kind of hurts your chemistry when you don't have that one person who's setting everybody up all the time. And you can tell by the way their offense runs. It's just never, it's never quite in sync. It only looks good when they're on fire, like they were yesterday. Copper shot 80% in that win over Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah, Mabry, Mabry had a really good game, too. Yeah. But, and Robin Park, so I kind of like, had her best game of her career yesterday. Where are the Sky ranked defensively as a team? Are they near the top or, or near the bottom? I don't know. I'm not sure. They have Copper is a good defender. Elizabeth Williams is a good one. Hmm. Alana Smith is good, but she doesn't get any respect from the refs. They call fouls on her that aren't fouls. Right. Courtney Williams kind of she can get beat because she's smaller. She can kind of get bullied. Yeah. And who else is like there? Mabry's not good on defense. I think that's all the starters. Yeah. I don't really think they have a copper is the person they put on somebody to lock them down. Yeah. And that's tough because if that means you're expending more energy on the defensive end, and then it's you know, you're you're running around trying to stop their top scorer or you know, rotate and help and leaves you with less energy when you need a, a big, you know, boost when you need a bucket. You know, if your if your top player is a little fatigued, um, both they're teams. eighth in defense, which is where they are in the standings too. Yeah. Oh no! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! That's not right. Um, hold on. Let me pull this up again. Yeah. Uh, the, they I'll... are. Yeah, they're eighth in defense. Yeah. It looks like. Uh, I think that. And I've sent my idea to Sky Management is that they just need to run more laps. Um, oh, great. That's my <laughs> suggestion, mm -hmm. um, especially for missed free throws. Every missed free throw in the middle of the game, take a lap. If the other team nice. scores, that's their fault. Should have made the free throws. Um, I think a little public humiliation and uh getting always good always good for the spirit to be always, publicly humiliated always works um it's it's avoidance i have several advanced theories on coaching that i've shared with uh sky ownership <laughs> okay uh, haven't gotten back to me yet on those um so but surprising i get right. it new thought is innovation is sometimes intimidating and so i i get it i'm maybe drop drop my name beef <laughs> that's my that's Drop really my name well it's still hot because <laughs> starting tomorrow heard of starting tomorrow that. nobody will know my name anymore that's so. the 20th anniversary hippo <laughs> <or C. laughs> 
Donkey <laughs> Monkey Triumph. Also known as Shirtless Fest. Yes, you may. Yes, was beloved character Shirtless Larry. <laughs> <laughs> known worldwide as a Chicago treasure. <laughs> <laughs> I just hope you enjoyed my Chicago accent in that one, Dave. I, ultimate car uh, dealership commercials with uh, the ultimate Chicago accent. Yeah, that was uh, a great show. Um, and for those of you listening, if you haven't heard the Hippo Horsey Donkey Monkey podcast episode, check that out. We talked to the entire improv troupe uh, just about their 20 years uh, together. And uh, it was a really good episode. So check that out if you're so inclined. Um, good show. I enjoyed myself. Um, <laughs> especially shirtless Larry. Oh, um, and Sammy is now not going to get on the ladder and um, berate me. So I, I dodged. You got my message right. What she said. I did. She was delighted you were there, but yet appalled because because <laughs> she wanted to yell at you. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it. People just you can just yell at me anyway. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure there's something I did wrong that night. Um, <laughs> she didn't find yell. Uh, uh, how do we, anyways? So, <laughs> yes. We can uh, digress from the sky. Yeah. Anything so, else on the sky? Any other? They got to find that something extra because I think they're underachieving. And get up to five or six. They can't be. They can't be in the eight spot because they'll get embarrassed in the playoffs by the aces. Yeah, that'll be tough. Well, they need to get a, a winning streak going. Is that a best of three series that aces uh, or best of five? They're always changing how they do the playoffs. Yeah, I'm not sure. Which is smart because they should add games, right? Because the WNBA keeps getting more and more popular. Yep. So I'm not sure what it's going to be this year. Um, so, well, uh, if anyone knows, uh, drop us a line. Uh, oh, wait, here it is. Here it is. Uh, best of three. It's going to be a best of three this year. Last year, they, I think they were still doing single elimination ones, like the oh, first wow. round. Yeah. But it wasn't. I think they had buys. Like some of the teams had buys. But this year, they... no, wait a minute. No, that's not true. Because last year, the Sky's first game, well, they were the two seed. I remember they played the Liberty in best out of three and they lost the first game and then yeah. they won the next two. Yeah. So, yeah. So it'd probably be a best of three, but it, they'd get crushed. So I want them to at least have a chance. And the only way to do that is to move on. Uh, well, uh, that more to, more to come there. Maybe they'll get hot and that'll carry over into the playoffs. And they'll get into the seven. They got they got enough talent. Again, they need the chemistry. And they need their their defense varies too. I mean, the effort the effort's pretty good most of the time. Mm -hmm. But I feel like they're rebounding. Like Seattle, 
The first game they played against Seattle that they won, they out-rebounded them by a ton. And then the second game, which they lost to them, Seattle out-rebounded them by a ton. Like, how does that happen? So just odd, odd things like that. Uh, rebounding is, uh, um, that's a tough, uh, that's a tough thing to measure, you know, why you'd like do so well one game and then just get clobbered the next night. Um, you know, you hate to say effort, um, or just focus because that's really all rebounding is honestly. Well, Courtney Williams, who's not a big guard at all. I think she leads the WNBA guards and rebounding, and she's not big at all. Yeah. I think she just has that instinct, which kind of how like Rodman was. Like, you felt like Rodman knew where the ball was going every time. Yeah. That's that's part of being a good rebounder. Yep. I mean, part, I mean, she's quick, quick enough too, I think. If she knows where it's going, she goes and gets it. Yeah. And a mentality too. It's a mentality of the shot is up. I'm, no matter where I am, I'm going to turn around. And see if I can get a board. To me, it's shocking how many, and, and maybe in the WNBA it's different, but in the NBA, it's just shocking how many people just stand around. And, uh, you know, the guy who's getting a defensive rebound is often just unchallenged. Um, you know, it's a well, three. Well, that's why I think more because nowadays there are a lot more threes. There's not as many, not as much interior rebounding because the guy throws up a shot. Another team just goes down court right away. Right. But if I'm a guy who isn't getting a lot of touches, that's a, that's a way to get a, you know, a few points. True. Uh, and your teammates will love you too if you're the one your getting all the rebounds. Love you. Yeah. It's it's so easy. Just go, you only have to really go up against one guy. And and if you make an art out of it, you might steal a you know two or three rebounds. And that that adds up. And it's it's also the focus. Well, that's the part. That's the part. To all right, especially if you're rebounding defensively with a bunch of people around you, look box out first, then get the ball. Right. Instead of looking for the ball, and then somebody runs in and yeah. steals it from you, basically, because you're not looking at them. You're looking for the ball first. Right. Yeah, Sky have had a couple games like that where I was like. Uh, please box out but it's not like all the time so yeah anyways back to shirtless larry yes yes well let's go on speaking of shirtless larry let's go to i recommend <laughs> because everyone recommends shirtless larry uh uh do you want to go first with your uh i recommend or you want uh, me to go you, uh, want you can to go, go because you do yours and i do mine and then you can do rolling stone Okay, uh, I recommend it's a documentary. It's on Amazon, but you have to be quick on it because I think I saw it because it was, I think it said like final days or, you know, leaving soon. Yeah. And it's a documentary that I just absolutely enjoyed. And it features a lot of the musical artists that we've talked about on the podcast, so many. And, um, the documentary is called uh, Muscle Shoals, and uh, it's a documentary about the two very famous recording studios that were located in the town, very small town of Muscle Shoals, Alabama. 
and it just covers uh, how um, the one studio was founded and then all the famous people that, you know, went through that town. And it's, it's, it's unbelievable how many people have gone down there to record. Um, for example, uh, the Rolling Stones went down there and cut a, more than a few tracks for Sticky Fingers in, uh, in the um, one of the, uh, there's two. And uh, there's one on Jackson Boulevard, and that's where the Stones went. Uh, Aretha Franklin, uh, that section is incredible. Um, uh, also, Bob Seger, Paul Simon. Um, I mean, basically, it's a 70s who, who, who's who of who went down there to uh, record uh, albums or songs. and. Uh, it's also a story of the the people who ran the studios and how they, um, you know, you know, became successful, and um, and it's really uh, I'll I'll just share two very quick stories. The first is um, Rick Hall is the one who started uh, the uh, first studio, and he basically he knew Percy Sledge because Percy Sledge was working as an orderly in the nearby hospital in uh, uh, the nearby town. And he said, Hey, you should just come in. Uh, we've got this band and, you know, uh, we've got a song that we think he would sound great. And of course that song was when a man loves a woman. Amazing. That's amazing. And the, he walked in there and it was a the, the house band. So it's sort of like, they had a house band kind of like in Motown or some of these studios that you the kind of like our, our house band. I mean, you have and our uh, house band, which has been beset by internal strife uh, <laughs> lately. But uh, no one wants to hear our dirty laundry. Uh, uh, they walked in. They were like, we have no idea about this guy. And Percy Sledge walked in and says, these are five white guys. Um, I thought I was getting a band here were these uh, schmoes mm -hmm. and the result was history and as a result uh atlantic records uh jerry wexler who was running kind of the a and r he said you know what you got i really like what you guys did with that song we just signed an artist uh and she was with columbia records for a few years and they didn't know what to do with her they tried her in all these different songs and um, and arrangements and nothing's working out and they just let her go. And I believe in her. I think she's amazing. Her name is Aretha Franklin. I'm going to send her to you. And there's a song that is called um, uh, I Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You and just see what you can do. And that is the best part of the documentary in my mind because she goes down there and they didn't have charts, so it was just kind of an idea. And the band said, well, I don't think very much of this song, and nothing's written down. We're going to be, like, wasting our time here. And Aretha Franklin, then they interview her, and she said, I kind of liked it because at Columbia, you know, they had their charts, and they had their, you come in here, and it's all very planned out ahead of time but this was more spontaneous 
So even though there were five dumpy looking white guys and I, you know, I was just like, I don't know. I don't know. And, uh, and they said that um, they kind of fooled around for like 45 minutes, trying, stopping, starting, nothing was happening. And then the, they had the, one of the band members and he started to play the organ, the, the famous intro to um, I never loved a man. And Aretha picked right up on it. And the rest of the band followed through or followed her. And uh, they, they cut that entire song, the song that everyone knows now, in 15 minutes. It was done. Mm-hmm. And uh, with horns and everything, which is incredible that they all knew or they all were in lockstep that way and made Aretha Franklin, you know, Aretha Franklin said, my life, my life changed after that. And I was on my, and I was on my way and all, all the hits respect um, chain of fools, pretty much every major Aretha Franklin hit of the sixties was recorded down there. And uh, also uh, after uh, the finally, uh, after uh, uh, never loved a man, the way I love you was cut. One of the horn players said, Aretha, baby, you are on fire. And Aretha Franklin's husband, like, punched the horn player in the face. <laughs> major fight. And the, uh, the, the interview that the Rick Hall, who produced the session and owned the studio, he said, I went from being on top of the world to being like, oh, my God, we are fired and no one else will come down here ever again. I got to try and smooth this out, which he did. And... uh but there's just sto- stories just like that. And I didn't know what to think when I got it. It's called Muscle Shoals. Uh, Mick Jagger's in it. Keith Richards is in it. Bono, uh, Aretha Franklin, um, so many, uh, Steve Winwood. Steve Winwood is in it talking about how he went down there with traffic. And, um, and those are just off the top of my head. It's an amazing, well worth your time. And yeah. so many of the artists that we've discussed here on Jag Bags. And if you love those artists, you'll really like this doc. So that is my recommend. It's called Muscle Shoals and it's on Amazon Prime or Amazon. Right. For my, I recommend, I have a couple albums, one new and one from three years ago. The first, do you know Rodney Crowell? Yes. Country singer. I saw him in concert with Scott Pasco. Really? Wow. Pasco and I, I had an extra ticket because he was backing up uh, Emmy Lou Harris. And and I forget who was supposed to go with me. And uh, I thought about calling you because I know what a huge Rodney Crowell fan <laughs> you are. And uh, But Pasco beat you to it. This was years and years ago. Bottom line yeah. is I do know Rodney Crowell. And that was a great show. He was terrific. He was really, he and Emmy Lou, they sounded great together. That was a great show. Yeah, well, I, I wasn't really familiar with him, but I read about it. His new one, which is Chicago Sessions. Yeah, he loves Chicago, but he's not from here, right? He's from the South, I think. I think so. Yeah. But our friend, well, my friend, maybe not your friend, I don't Jeff know. Tweedy is involved with this. Oh, of course. That's why I think I listened to it. Yes. And my favorite song on it, Jeff Tweedy sings on called Everything at Once. But I like the whole album. 
So I'm thinking we might be talking about this at the end of the year too. Hmm. So yeah, Chicago set. You'll definitely like it, Beef, because you already are familiar with them. So yeah, I, I, I'll definitely want to check it out. I like Rodney Krell. Yeah. My other one is this came out three years ago, and I wanted to talk about it because I have eight billion Spotify playlists. So I slowly am going through them all because <laughs> like I put these together. I need to listen to them all at least once. So that you make the playlists and then don't listen to them. <laughs> so I was like, no, I'll, every once in a while I'll, I'll make sure. All right, keep moving forward. Listen to these. Yes. So this one was Stone Temple Pilots. So yeah. Stone Temple Pilots, you think of Core yep. and a couple of their other big ones. So this one came out three years ago. Obviously, Scott Weiland isn't around anymore. Yeah. But I'm, I once I started listening to it again, I put the whole album on the playlist. I'm like, yeah, I really like this album. The lead singer, Jeff Gutt, was the lead singer for this one. <laughs> And it's really mellow, but it's really good. Because I'm like, why did I put every song in here? And then I listen to it and I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I got to check my top tens from that year. Maybe I had it on my top ten. But Perdida. That's, that's what the name of the record Stone Temple Pilots. Obviously not classic Stone Temple Pilots song, but a good album. And it's P-E-R-D-I-D-A? Yes. Yeah, those are my two for the week. I'm uh, I'm looking it up right now on the Spotify. Here it is. Stone Temple Pilots. All right, I'll I'll, I'll, I'm definitely checking this out. Mm -hmm. Um, what's the uh, what's the best cut off of Perdita? Do you let me take a look again? I thought I wrote it down, but I didn't. While you're talking, I I liked the Stone Temple Pilots' first four albums mm -hmm. a lot. And yeah. then their fifth album, I was like, and eh, that's not so good. And that was that was the end of that. But I think the the those other guys in Stone Temple Pilots, I think it's two brothers, right? It's DeLeo, um, D-E-L-E-O. Shangri-La Dida was the album that I didn't care for. Mm -hmm. And then they've put out three albums since then. Um, yeah, uh, let's see. Fairly was well, fairly well, which is the opener, first song on the album. That's the, that's the one that you were fairly well, but they're all good. They're all good. I'm uh, I'm in this because I kind of gave up on them after Shangri La Di Da. They didn't make another album for nine years. Mm -hmm. That and they've made a grand total of three albums since 2010. So, yeah, I think that was one I just kind of stumbled upon. Yeah, because nowadays I kind of just check everything, right? Oh, Stone Temple Pilots have an album. Yeah, right. Yeah, good yep. stuff. Good stuff, Len. Like it. All right. All right. The well, amazing achievement continues, Beeve. Now we go to the double digits, Beeve. They call him. That's right. They uh, they're taking everybody has given Beeve some celebratory ham sandwiches today. They've, because he's uh, yeah. finally hit the milestone. <laughs> I um, a big pile of ham sandwiches on Beef's desk right now. Yeah, I uh, I've gone through just a couple of uh, the ham sandwiches, but I really appreciate 
especially the gentleman who sent me an entire uh, zi- uh, uh, hefty uh, lawn and garden bag full of ham sandwiches. That was a little much. I don't know how that started. Uh, I don't know why. I think it was. I think it's one of those things you see on. Uh, it goes viral, probably a TikTok. It might have been people thought we were saying ham instead of heim all the time. Could have uh, been that. Yeah, it could have been that. How distaste? <laughs> how distasteful. Uh, <laughs> let's move on before I get go into a rant. Uh, I'll go to my a prediction. My prediction. You had a really good. Five good albums, I think, this week. That's my guess. I definitely do. Yeah, these are all uh, because last five I was all down on. Yeah, but these five are all super, super good. Well, you like Master of Puppets last week. That was it. That was it. Yeah, one uh, out of five last week. Yeah. Um. No, this one is. I think. I'm, I think it's five for five. And when you get to this, well, there's probably going to be a few more that I'm like, no way, get this out. But that's more of like Rolling Stone, um, because you know there's going to be a few Wilco albums in the top 100. I'm just I'm just calling it right now. There's not there's not a few Wilco albums in the top 100. Any. Yeah, I, I think there's just a one that was already discussed. Hmm. They don't have any in the top 100. Really? I don't think Rolling Stones big Wilco fans. I thought they were. No. Right. There will definitely be a Los Lobos album in the top 100. <laughs> I don't know if there is, but there's definitely a couple that I just flipping through here that I know you're going to be like, no, no. Well, thankfully that's not this week. Uh, First one is album uh, 94 and that's the Stooges and the album is fun house. And yeah, this album is awesome. Um, It is uh, full on jam. It's just, it's jams. And I think, you know, people say, oh, the Stooges, they were like, you know, punk or the first kind of punk. Um, But I think it's more like classic rock or, you know, just like you just, you know, jams when you hear them. Mm -hmm. uh, They they just were riffs and just full on their their intent is to kick your ass uh, with the jams, especially loose. Loose is a monster, uh, what our friend Scott Oaken likes to call a table-busting jam. Uh, and uh, yeah, if you can't, if you can't get excited uh, after listening to that song, then you know I, I don't think you're a rock fan. Now, do you like the Stooges? I do. Yeah. Now, the Stooges have been compared to the Clash, a, a band that you are not a fan of. Yeah, do you do you see I don't the, hate the clash? The yeah. clash. <laughs> I, I don't see where you'd hear the clash with the Stooges. Just kind of the high energy. Um, but I don't think the clash are high energy. I oh, think they're very on. varied in energy. But they can be incredibly high energy. But the Stooges is like everything's high energy almost. That's true. I mean, the Stooges do not are were not the Stooges ever. are stealing your ham sandwiches from your fridge. They were never into reggae. Well, right? the Clash, maybe they'll try. <laughs> the Stooges will try to lull you to sleep sometimes with their uh, long, drawn out, you know, kind of droning. Well, that was just the first record. The the other two, uh, Funhouse and the famous one, uh, which is I'm sure coming up, Raw Power. Um, 
Yeah, they're stealing your ham sandwiches. Yes. And I am powerless to stop them for sure. I, I will do, I will help them. Like here, see this lawn and garden bag, it's yours. And, yeah. Iggy Pop has been seen leaving Beef's house. Yeah, with ham sandwiches. Saying, Way down. <laughs> ham sandwiches from the Diamond listeners. Darn right. Uh, uh, album 93 is Supa Dupa Fly by Missy Elliott. And uh, yeah, this is, uh, I mean, this is basically kind of a blueprint. I mean, this is what, you know, kind of introduced the world to to Missy Elliott and made her, um, you know, just kind of uh, kind of started a whole kind of genre of hip hop, the whole uh, Dirty South kind of uh, that uh, a lot of people follow. So it's very influential and it's great. And um, and uh, it's a it's a shame that Missy Elliott, I feel like she's kind of an afterthought these days and that's wrong. Um, because she put out some great, great. Uh, well, I think the people who put this list together obviously were influenced by her, and because that's really high up, ninety-three. Yeah, I think it's a great album. Ninety-three is pretty high. Would mm-hmm. my might have it, but I wouldn't have it much, too much lower. I really wouldn't. I, I, it's a top two hundred album all time for sure, just because of its influence. Um. Yeah, 93 might be a little high. But uh it doesn't take away from the from the power of it for sure. And uh the rain is like that that song's great. Great song. Um and uh the whole album is terrific. And uh and it also kind of it kind of introduced everyone to Timbaland as well, their production her production team, just excellent. And uh, it's one of the great, not only is it a great album, but it's one of the great hip hop debut albums of all time. Um, oh, just a debut, huh? Yeah. Wow. So, you know, not only, uh, you know, is it uh, terrific, but every, it, it announced a major, major talent. So, um, yeah, it definitely belongs. Uh, album 92 no doubt belongs now this is interesting this the album is axis bold as love now we're getting into some hendrix um and you know i think for hendrix's influence which is you know it it's still being felt today his music is timeless it 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 was huge then but it doesn't feel dated it doesn't feel it feels older now because you see how much of the blues was in his playing mm-hmm. and you know where he came from kind of the r&b and soul kind of and and just the old time blues and he just kind of put like special effects and crazy things you know sound distortions and created kind of a world of like space outer space kind of guy and uh you know, which fit his persona to a T. Um, but I think just in terms of jams, pop, you know, these are songs that you can, you know, they, they're great melodies too, whether they're covers or originals. And, um, you know, I, I think that they sound as fresh today as they did, um, you know, when they were, when they were put out. 
and all three of these, you know, are you experienced Axis Bold as Love and Electric Ladyland? Um, I would put Axis Bold as Love higher than 92. I mean, I just think all three of them, and th- they're in the proper order because I think Axis Bold as Love is the weakest of the three, but it's really like 1A, 1B, and 1C, in my opinion. They're all just masterpieces. But one thing I noticed looking it up is none of those songs are your classic still here on the radio Hendrix songs. The only one you'd really might hear is Castles Made of Sand, and it's rare to hear that on on the radio. Mm -hmm. So this is like for people deep into Hendrix, I think. You also have... Not that you shouldn't listen to it, but the people that pick this, they're they're huge music fans. Because the normal person would be like, oh, I don't know these songs. <laughs> like the casual, off-the-street person. It's true. But there's some that you're like, because, yes, Castles Made of Sand is probably the most famous one. But Spanish Castle Magic, that was... I mean, that was... No, I'm not saying anything against these. It doesn't matter if they're popular or not. Yeah. But I'm just saying to pick this is a good thing because it's going to make people listen to it that haven't listened to it. The other one, too, is uh, Little Wing because Little Wing, a lot of people were huge fans of that. I think Derek and the Dominoes. Yeah, I got covered a lot. Covered that. Sting covered it on. Uh, I did with my all, on, all bottle jug band. Yeah, that 23 minutes cover of Little Wing seemed, uh, well, I think uh, I just people, people didn't understand it. Uh, I think. Well, Bobby Criscow did, Beeve, and he, <laughs> Chris Gow. he called it the top cut of 2018. So, you tell Chris me Gow. who's right. You tell me who's right. You know, Chris Gow was in the Muscle Shoals documentary as well, and he had a t shirt that read Lens Jug Bottle Jug. <laughs> This guy remembers. <laughs> that is for sure. Uh, all right, let's move on to 91. Uh, Bruce Springsteen, Darkness on the Edge of Town. Um, where do you put this on the Springsteen? I mean, this is, as as we talked about last week with our friend Scott Oaken, this is Pantheon Springsteen. Um, but in your opinion, is this his best no. album? But part yeah. of that's because I don't know it thoroughly like Born to Run. Because mm-hmm. Born to Run is my favorite. Yep. But it's it's really good. So I love. And if you want to listen to our Springsteen, since I'm quickly referencing it, episode 59, one of our earlier ones. Yeah. From a couple of years ago. We talk about Springsteen. I, um, yeah, check that out. And, uh, you know, I think that to me, this album is pretty perfect. My opinion. I mean, I don't think there's a weak cut on here. Badlands is a concert staple. I mean, they, they, there was no like big, big hits. Um, but Bad, Badlands is just an incredible song. Yeah. And uh, but I don't think when it came out, it I, it wasn't a big hit, was it? I don't think so. I don't think so either. And um, 
but all these songs are i think the i think the one that got the most radio play was prove it all night another great one um but i mean all these songs are just uh, facing in the street yeah oh springsteen is has just arrived uh in woodridge illinois and is uh warbling a little bit in the background we also cover through it all night <laughs> also 23 minutes <laughs> oh, yeah, a lot of the- our gigs are three songs yes little wing prove it all night and fire in the twilight by wang chung all 23 minutes long fire in the twilight has been known to go as long as 50 to 55 minutes if not- we feel the room we feel out the room the room they want 27 more minutes maybe yes. Um, the uh, the shirtless uh, band <laughs> as you play Fire the Twilight is also a nice touch. Seems to push the crowd to another level, and uh, the choreographed nature of it too is uh, is is impressive. Be- Even <laughs> still filling the effects from Shirtless Saturday. So. Oh my God, the whole crowd was. It's all we we're talking. About. <laughs> yeah. It gives you great confidence when you walk into a spotlight and everyone starts laughing because you're sure. So. <laughs> no, always, always. It's never not funny. Shirtless, <laughs> especially shirtless people selling cars. Uh, always hilarious. Uh, let's move on. Wait, to- let me ask you this. Is this your favorite Springsteen? I would say no. What's I your favorite? Say- I, you know, that's a good one. I mean, Born to Run is like, I mean, it has to be the, the choice. It really does. Uh, I've had Born argument. Unreal, so. Yeah. It's kind of like, that's like the sun in the sky and nobody. So you, I guess the real argument is what album is playing for second. Yeah. Um, and that's a tougher one. And I still like The River. Um. My our friend Bruce uh, Hollett, who is a friend of the podcast, he'll argue Nebraska. Um, and uh, I mean, I think you talk to each Springsteen, then you'll get a different answer. But I Dan Lapke, Dan Lapke would say Nebraska too. Yeah, I know a lot of people who would vote for Darkness on the Edge of Town. Do you know there was a book? I I had mentioned that right. There's a book out about Nebraska. Oh yeah, yeah. You showed it to me. Did you read it? No, I haven't read it, but yeah. I was surprised. I'm like, wow. Yeah. Um, I love Nebraska. I love it. I think you have to be in a mood for it. I got to listen to it again. I don't dislike it, but I haven't listened to it in a long time. It's it's not an album you put on at parties. (laughs) Hey, guys, we're going to really get the room going in a little bit. Nebraska. It's not even an album you might play like, like, let's say, like you're having a few friends over. Not Nebraska. what are you doing here, Len? What's what's this? You're um, like, never mind. Just have some more of the vegetable platter and enjoy. Yes. Enjoy. Right? Listen to uh, uh, Highway Patrolman. <laughs> when we quietly reflect. Yeah, right. On the broken dreams of America. Right. Um, yeah, I think that's a mood record, but in the right mood, it's great. Great. I think, I think 91 is about right for Darkness on the Edge of Town. And I think 90 is about right. Now, here's a here's a uh, question. Which album do you prefer, Darkness on the Edge of Town or the album that's at number 90, which is Neil Young's After the Gold Rush? 
I think I would go with after the gold rush, but it's close. Um, I think yeah, a little bit, but you a little bit, but I love Neil Young, so me too. Yeah, and this is like an album that's like very kind of like, um, you know, his first two albums. Think about his first two albums are like with Crazy Horse, and they're all jams, and then he puts out this record, which is very soft by comparison and lilting and very beautiful. Um, you know, really a lot of stuff from the heart and, um, you know, uh, and so many of the songs are just, they're, they're, they have a lot of soul and they're very, it's another mood album, but for whatever reason, it's not as foreboding. It's more inviting. And, and a song like after the gold rush is like little wing, like everybody wants to record that for some reason. It's, it's been covered a million times. Yeah, it's a beautiful song and not just by rock artists, but across genres. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone is covering mm -hmm. after the gold rush, like as an instrumental, um, because it's yeah, there's just something about that song that gets to everybody. Yeah. Um, but that album is one of those, uh, as we talked about uh, on the Oaken pod, um, that's like, and like Darkness on the Edge of Town, there's not a bad song on here. Um, and an album that I prefer to After the Gold Rush, which I think is even more, is uh, kind of uh, not heartbreaking, but beautiful, is uh, I Believe in You. I love that song. I mm -hmm. love that song. I also love birds. I love don't let it bring you down. Um, and then he has the jams too. He has Southern Man, which is that's a jam. Yeah, that's another one. It just grabs you right away. And uh another song that is a little underrated, but also a jam is When You Dance, I Can Really Love. Yeah. That that's a great one. Table busting. I remember years and years ago like the 80s probably uh scott open put that on a tape for me i'm like this is a great song yeah, yeah. before i had submerged myself into neil young right it's it's yeah. really easy to because he's just you know you could do worse and have like i if it were me i'd probably put about i i seriously i think i would put about six or seven neil young albums in the top 100 but i'm just a huge fan um, but this yeah, album, no problem with that. This album definitely belongs. Um, mm -hmm. And that is it. That is my five albums for the week. And get ready because next week we're going to be in the 80s. What? Oh, man. Incredible. And there will be a next week, there will be a jazz album. Steal yourself. <laughs> Steal yourself for jazz. That's next week. So you have all week to prepare. All right. I'll be ready. <laughs> With a bulletproof vest. <laughs> or a hazmat suit. All right. So I'm at, I'm sneaking into, oh, I've been in the three, uh, 200s. Yeah. I'm starting off with number 290. And this is Anthology.
by the tribe called Quest. They rule, and that album rules. This came out in 1999. Getting measures on the tip of the vibers, rock and roll to the beat of the funk fuzz, wipe your feet really good to the rhythm rug. If you feel the urge to freak, do the jitterbug. That's how Beave addresses all his partygoers when they walk in. <laughs> if they're confused, he kicks them out. <laughs> that did, is, can you, I kick uh, it? You're just doing the jitterbug wrong. That's all I have to say. You're just doing the yeah. jitterbug wrong. Can I kick it? Bonita Applebaum scenario. Your favorite song, jazz parentheses, we got got the jazz we got the jazz i left my wallet in el segundo those are these are all great songs oh my god those are the ones i picked like my favorites on here yep it's i'm always kind of surprised when these albums get reviewed because it's just a it's like a collection of their best songs but our friend gave it an a bobby bobby c yeah i mean how and it hit number 81 in the charts and I, I was listening to it today and Henry's like is this on Spotify yeah I'm like yeah the whole album so now Henry's going to be listening to Tribe Called Quest yeah yeah and what was the other thing I was going to say oh did you ever watch the documentary no I think that's kind of how I heard heard about that I've I'd already kind of heard of them mm-hmm. But then I read about the documentary and how good it was, because that was like at least 12 years ago. So then I got this. I'm like, oh, yeah. Okay, I get it now. Michael Rappaport is the one who did the documentary. He's everywhere. Michael, But it's supposed to be really good, so I need to watch it. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Uh, Our friend Kirk Pinchon had Tribe Called Quest Records, and that's how I got into them. Yeah. Um, And... uh, Otherwise, I think they probably would have gone under. Even then, they, you know, that was back in the 90s. And when uh, I first, and but even then, they were sort of flying under the radar a little bit. I feel like yeah, they weren't. They, they were another one that is more popular today than when they were. I feel like. They, like I said, I'd heard of them. And then you yeah. hear like Q-tip and they're kind of like a little bit under the radar. Yeah. Not completely, where I was like, yeah, I keep hearing about these guys. And then eventually I, I listened to it and I was like, yes. Oh, it's called Beats, Rhymes, and Life. That's the name of the documentary. That's the name of the documentary. So I gotta I gotta watch that. Me too. Although <laughs> I just keep picturing Rappaport busting in and <laughs> saying ridiculous things. Michael Rappaport, in, you know what? He infuses any documentary with the street. Because Michael <laughs> Rappaport is from the street. You know? When you listen to him, you're like, ooh, this is authentic. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I did get good reviews, I remember. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. What's your favorite of these songs? Uh, from Anthology? Well, just some of the ones I mentioned, if you don't know every song on here without looking it up. Uh, so my, Check the Rhymes is a really good one. I played that twice today because I was like, Henry's like, I'm like, Henry, I'm going to play this again. He's like, that's okay. I love Scenario. 
Mm -hmm. I love Check the Rhyme. Uh, I love uh, We the People from their latest one that was that came out. That's not on here. That song, We the People. Uh, not to get political here for a second, but when Trump got elected, you know, everyone knows how they felt when Trump got elected, and that album, I think it's called We the People. Um, or we got it from here. Thank you for your service. I mean, that just to me, that was like that was an album that followed me around in that whole month following. Yeah. Um uh so I just I think that's great. Um Benita Applebaum's terrific. I you know, you make fun, but we got the jazz, we got the jazz is I do like that song. <laughs> I love that song. And Ron Carter who backed up Miles Davis, one of Miles' famous uh, quintets, is he's on bass for that song. Um, I like Stir It Up. I like Bugging Out. Um, yeah, Bugging Out's good. Uh, what else? I Left My Wallet in El Segundo. That's, that's a famous one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't go wrong with yep. them. I think my favorite two albums by them are The Low End Theory, Midnight Bar- Marauders. And then the latest one, we got it from here. Those are all really, and then People's Instinctive Travels is also really good. That's not the full name of the album, but that's a that's a great one too. All right. So my two eighty nine. These next two albums were just that I'm going to talk about. Actually, the next three were all pretty big. But the first two, especially, I think are two of the best selling albums of all time. Okay. So the first one's Metallica, also known as the Black Album. Yep. Came out in 1992. And I went with the obvious one for the lyric Sleep with One Eye Open, Gripping Your Pillow Tight, Exit Light, Enter Night, Take My Hand, or Off to Never Never Land. So, Enter Sandman, Sad But True, Holier Than Thou, Wherever I May Roam. All the rockers on this one are really good. This this is the album that made them gigantic. Yes. I'll talk about that in a minute. Like, Unforgiven, I remember getting so tired of. Yeah. But I listened to it yesterday. I'm like, it's, it's all right. It's all right. Maybe nothing else matters, isn't it? Because <laughs> I was like, nothing else matters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But Unforgiven was played to death. But Enter Sandman is, I never got tired of it. Comes on. I'm like, I'm in. I'm in for that song. Turning it up. And getting about what you said just made them huge. I remember always seeing people in Metallica t-shirts, but not really knowing them. And then I, this is a running theme today. Then Joe Ruckoff put some songs on for me. Like one, one got kind of big, I think, because there was a video on MTV and Creeping Death. Do you know that song? And, and a couple other ones. I'm like, oh, I like these guys. And, and this was before the Black Album. And then I Master of Puppets, was like, which we talked about last week. I'm like, oh, Master of Puppets is great. So when this came out, I was ready for it. It's not as good as Master of Puppets, but I like it enough that I felt it belonged on my list. 
Guess how many times platinum this album is? Eight. Sixteen. I was, I was only half right. And how about this record? Well, not record. It's second. So Dark Side of the Moon, which was on the charts forever. This is the second longest. It was on the charts for 550 weeks. So, so it was one of the like best selling. I think years. it's top 100. Top is so basically in the top 100 best selling albums in America for over 10 years. Okay. Almost 11. That's crazy. And what I wrote in my notes is it got good reviews for a sellout album because I'm sure there were Metallica fans that can, would consider this a sellout album. A lot of, I, I because of the, heard that. Because it's got the two power ballads. Right. But the rest of the stuff feels, I mean, they don't have any, I don't think there's any super long songs on here. But I could see them being a little mad about it. And you like the new, new, all the new fans that showed up after this. You heard, you heard that, that all the, like, this is their worst album. <sighs> yeah, but it got <laughs> heard that Greg Cott, another friend of the podcast, recommended it. <laughs> Guess what? Our but there was one dissenter who called it a dud, and you can guess who that was. Uh, you know what? I think that's his favorite put down, just to call someone a dud. Yeah, this is the second time I've seen it. And Wikipedia, I don't know how much money he's giving you, but. That's fine. Yeah. Continue yeah. to quote him. Oh, Bob. And listen listen to this one. So as far as best-selling albums of the year, it was the 62nd best album, best-selling album in 91, because this must have came out late in 91. It was 7th in 92, 32nd in 93, 21st in 94, 94th in 95, and 91st in 96. Just an amazing run. Domination. Domination. And I remember the first time I saw them in concert, it was because I love Master of Puppets, but they were starting to play these songs. Right. And they are great that night, I remember. I was talking about this to somebody the other day, and I said, the first, first concert was great. The second concert, someone set the lawn on fire. Yeah. And then the... the the third time I saw them, it felt like they, they didn't want to be there and they got outperformed by Kid Rock. So that's tough. That's tough. Yeah. But still, that's my 289. And then my 288, one of the best selling albums of all time. Here we go. Oh, we've talked about this record Jagged Little Pill, Alanis Morissette, 1995. I didn't go with You Ought to Know for the lyric, even though that's a great lyric. Yes. You've already won me over in spite of me. Don't be alarmed if I fall head over feet. Don't be surprised if I love you for all that you are. I couldn't help it. It's all your fault. That's head over feet. It also has All I Really Want, You Ought to Know, which we just mentioned, Hand in My Pocket, Right through you, you learn the classically wrong, ironic. <laughs> yeah. Where you're like, didn't somebody want to step in and go, these are, <laughs> this is way off. <laughs> I don't mind the song, though. It's not like I'm bothered by it. And I like the video where she's playing like different people. 
Yeah, yeah. The the biggest hit, oh, actually, the biggest hit on this album was the one I quoted, Head Over Feet. It had three top ten hits, Ironic, You Learn, and Head Over Feet, and then You Ought to Know and Hand in My Pocket were top 20. Crazy. And this was her third album, because her first two albums were these Canadian pop <laughs> manufactured ones. Yeah. And she came out with this, and it was considered an alternative album. And do oh, you yeah. remember the original video? Oh yeah, to you because she doesn't show her face, right? I mean, I mean, I wonder if that was a plan where they're like, let's create some mystery about her, right? So that people don't go, didn't I see her on Canadian pop stars or something? <laughs> Wasn't she doing a duet with Gordon Lightfoot and? Uh... <laughs> Well, she would have had all the respect if she did that. Yeah, she would have. Uh, and yeah, I remember. And but it, it worked though because everybody, I was curious about it. I'm like, this is a good song, but what does this person actually look like? Right. And then she was probably helped a lot by the videos because then she unleashed all these hits. Yeah. And they're all probably helped because she was she was good in the videos. She's photogenic and. Yep. laughs on the camera and everything and they had some good concepts for a couple of them yeah but what's funny is the reviews for the most part were good but there were two interesting not so good ones the chicago tribune only gave it two stars and wow. <laughs> entertainment so weekly of all people who you thought would be on board in this for sure only gave it a c plus well i mean i think that uh well, it's interesting. I I remember the reviews being not mixed, but it was more like, how is this huge? Kind of like wonder that this. Well, you know, yeah. I mean, you got a record. It sold 33 price. million copies. I mean, it is. I think if I, unless I read this wrong, I think it's the seventh biggest album ever. A total monster. Ever. Yeah. Obviously, hit number one on the charts. And kind of like the Metallica one, it was 14th for 1995, the best-selling album of 96, and the 23rd best-selling album of 97, 16 times platinum. And, also like uh, Metallica. Yeah, and a few years ago, they did a stage adaptation of it. It kind of got messed up by the pandemic, but... Oh, and the other thing I want to say is, okay, so here's a trivia question for you. What two rock stars played on You Ought to Know? Oh, I, great. I don't know. Great question. Flea and Dave Navarro. I did not know that. So so you always wonder how that works. Did Glenn Ballard go, hey, guys, <laughs> I have this Canadian pop star that has a really good song. You want to <laughs> help us out? <laughs> but yeah I, I i really like the album so but i i, I enjoy i enjoy the alanis i wasn't as a bond i wasn't as like because some people were like this is like one of the finest albums of all. i never was like that but but uh i i that's not to say i didn't i i didn't dislike it mm -hmm. it's one of those where i was like this is good but how is this selling how is this a 16 time platinum album like yeah. it definitely 
tapped into something like like i, I was surprised i mean reading about it, i was surprised and i knew it was popular but i was surprised how popular it was i feel like she like alanis morissette like tapped into kind of an emotion you know like uh you know like not to like presage that like girls girls could rock girls could because her audience is women i feel like she was writing for women and i feel like a, a, a major part of her record buying audience were women mm-hmm. and so in that way she was kind of a pioneer um where she's also like maybe i'll write a song that a 29 year old len foot will enjoy I mean, that was yeah. part of it. Well, yeah. Well, she. I think you're on the liner notes, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> uh, but uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's different from say Metallica, who basically they were kind of like, "Well, we're going to keep doing what we do, but we're going to try and just make it a little friendlier, so that more people will discover us." And you know what I read about the Metallica album that. Some of the reviews said they liked it because while they did kind of streamline stuff, they don't feel like that that album's overproduced, right. like a lot of heavy metal albums were back then. Right. And it doesn't. It doesn't feel overproduced. I, I think it was not overproduced, but like compared to other Metallica albums. You know, there's definitely a little bit of a sheen, a little bit of a. F- but not overdone. Not overdone. No, 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 no. I, I Maybe agree. the power ballads are a little bit, but. I, I think it's just like, like they were going for it. Yep. That album is like, we want to, we're trying to sell a gajillion records and, and, uh, and you could see, but I don't think it was overproduced. No. Yeah. It's still and they had all the money. And they had all the money, <laughs> all the all of it. All right. So next up, this is number two eighty seven. I'm not sure what you, th- you think of this one. Oh, is Moby? <laughs> this is Play. Yep. by Moby. Uh, Came out in nineteen ninety nine. Speaking of huge, I s- not as huge as I thought though. I'll, I'll I'll tell you in a minute. I see myself in a pouring home. I see the light come over known. I see myself in a pouring rain. I watch hope come over me. That, of course, is Beef's favorite song, Southside, featuring Gwen Stefani. It, it is my favorite. Uh, it is my favorite song. That's and, that's the song I play when I'm going out to the clubs. You know, I'm well, I had, I had a little note here for one of them. I'm hitting liquor box. Uh, Why does my heart feel so bad? I love that song. Yeah. If things were perfect. And then a little inside jag bags for you. So before each podcast recording, Beav and I go into the studio and we play a song to warm ourselves up. And tonight it was Body Rock by Moby. Dude. <laughs> uh, you just let out the major podcast sequence. So a little, <laughs> little treat for everyone, a little tidbit. Really is, really is. And this was his fifth album. And he was considering going back to school before he did this album. And I guess the first like event he did for it, only 40 people came. It's incredible. 
And what they did was they licensed tons of songs on this album. And all of a sudden, everybody's like, what's that song? And then it, all of a sudden, it took off. <laughs> and Moby said something like, the amount of success, he was just drunk the whole time. <laughs> all of a sudden, everybody wants to talk to me. All these famous people want to hang out with me. I think and, it, was- and it got critical. Raised the, the surprising thing for me about that was it's an album, like I just said, got licensed everywhere. But the critics loved it. It's the best-selling electronic album of all time. Right. And our friend gave it an A+. Plus. It, uh, there's no denying its influence. It could be one of the more influential. I, I, you can make a great argument that this is one of the most influential albums of all time. You really could. Well, he made it accessible. I think that was the key. Yeah. And he had all different kinds of styles and good guests, yep. guest artists on it. Yep. And the stuff's evocative or makes you want to dance. There's just so many different yep. things going on in this, it's, which makes you want to listen to it more because it's it's all different types of... Because even when I read that, like electronica, I'm like, it doesn't really feel like that to me. Yeah. That's why I thought it was bigger though, too, because from what you said, it was double platinum, which is which is good, but I thought it sold even more than that. Yeah. It was hit 30 number 38 in the charts, and it was number 69 for the year 2000. Yeah. But I think part of that too is you heard it just like we said, just in, in commercials too. It wasn't yeah. just song you heard on the radio. And he did he did well with the videos too. He was smart to do one. Very he had a lot of, I think, pretty respected directors doing some of these videos, too. It kind of like, it's one of those, like, you know, right place, right time. And, 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 and it just, it, it, expl- it was like a perfect storm. And it just uh, kind of built on itself before everybody really, because it is, it's kind of an unlikely success story. And what I like about the, the last three albums I talked about, see a picture Metallica, Alanis, and Moby all at one time, all of a sudden going, oh, <laughs> everybody wants to listen to this? Oh. I would argue that, that moment of you're getting all the fame right now. Right. I would argue that Alanis and Moby were like that. Like, really? Like, but for Metallica, I think that was the plan all along. But even that, though, because. But I don't I mean, think on the charts not. for 10 years, Beeve, even they if you're thinking not. this is going to be our biggest hit, they did not count. never leaves the charts for a decade. That I, I grant you that they did not yeah. count on 10 years on the charts. Yeah. All right. And then my final, time, one, then my final one, we bring up another band I talked about last week. This is Blue Sky Mining, Midnight Oil. I played this all the time in college. All the Came time. out. It's. Like last week when we were talking about diesel and dust, I was like, is it better than blue sky mining? And diesel and I, dust is really good. I say blue sky mining is better. My opinion. Me too. Me too. So I was correct in putting it slightly ahead of diesel and dust. Yeah. Because with you. Well, let me let me do my lyric first. The hardest years, the darkest years, the roaring years, 
the fallen years. These should not be forgotten years, which I put on a plaque for Beef so he remembers to soak in this time at Jagbags. Forsaking, aching, breaking years. There you go. I'm, I'm glad you look at that. I'm glad you look at that plaque, Beef, because just to get some perspective. Forgot. Okay, what's the better jam? Forgotten years or King of the Mountain? <laughs> I go Forgotten Years. King of the Mountain is a super jam. I can't decide. That's a the first one. six songs are all fantastic. Perfect. They're That's perfect. I realized today. I was like, these are all great. It's just nonstop because you get Blue Sky Mining. Damn. Um, what's this one called? Stars of War. Burton, am I reading that right? Stars of War, Burton, Bethlehem, Bridge, Gotten Years, Mountains of Burma, and King of the Mountain. It's like I even like uh, River Runs Red. I you could make it. No, that's a great song too. So seven great songs in a row. Seven, and I and I'll buy it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very happy to revisit this one. It was critically acclaimed. Uh, did did fairly well in the U.S. and went gold. Uh, it was number twenty uh, on the charts and hit number sixty-seven for the year. But again, don't you think they, these guys should have been bigger? It I mean, was like they almost had kind of a. I kept thinking like U two in a way, but yeah. more political. But that kind of powerful, almost anthem. I don't even know if they, you could say they're anthems, but they're close to it. Very anthemic. Very just two great albums, but they never they did all right, but they didn't take off like I think they should have. I, I think that, you know, I I think that they were so strident. And that, I mean, you look at the lyrics of Blue Sky Mining and it's depressingly timeless because they're talking about climate change. That is like the number one. Yeah kind of message and you're singing along who's gonna save me i don't <laughs> right exactly. i remember your dance parties where all were singing about that yeah and then you put on can i kick it <laughs> and then followed by nebraska it's the ultimate nebraska like, to really crank up the party beef puts on I nebraska fever pitch well new year's eve 2024 beef you're gonna i don't know how you're gonna top last year but Maybe that's your playlist right there. Maybe that illegal gathering of uh, <laughs> party that I did not throw. That's looking down and, uh, you know. Blue Sky Mine, Can I Kick It, all of Nebraska. Right? I'll, I'll get the DJ for you. Oh, God. Yeah. All of the Jacksons were at my party last year. Hold on. Hold on. I got uh, Peter Garrett from Midnight Oil is calling me right now. He, he no well oh yeah okay yeah he said peter garrett is on the phone oh, they just he's a, nice, he's a very nice man he said good for alanis good for moby good for metallica i have no hard feelings oh uh, well you know what's more important also wait wait wait. there's more he said tell beef i said hello and yes i can do the jitterbug so. <laughs> I don't thank you that. it's nice when the celebrities call us i had always wondered but uh, <laughs> Midnight Oil, although it did not sell as much as those, is ranked higher in the Lens' favorite 500 out of all those. More importantly, yeah. 
Yeah. So what did uh, that's why he dances the jitterbug because he he likes my praise for him. What did uh, Bobby Criscow give this album? I, I didn't have I didn't it wasn't in there. Maybe oh, he there? didn't send Wikipedia the check. He took a mulligan. He took a he took a mulligan. He was like, I can't. Or maybe I just overlooked it. <laughs> I'm tired of tired of seeing everything he says about everything. <laughs> He's like, who cares what Bobby yeah. Criscow thinks? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's it. That was number 286. Oh man, we are moving up. We got to figure out what we're going to do after. We got to make some post list album list plans. Maybe I'll go through all the jazz albums of the 30s and that will wake up, Len. Wake up. Wake up. Len, wake up. Uh, well, that's just a, we're just brainstorming. So uh, more to come on that exciting topic. If you have any thoughts on things that I should uh, go over, maybe like Shaq's greatest uh jokes <laughs> i'm sorry i took my shirt off beef you don't have to bring up shack <laughs> uh you know the the uh the possibilities are endless so if you have any ideas send them to us we are available we're on facebook we're on twitter we're on instagram so drop us a line what should beave discuss next um that could be a um uh, a good topic uh please drop us a line if we if we take you up on your suggestion, you will get a Jag Bags t-shirt. We've been flooded with orders lately. So yeah. the man is high. Be a part of the partly because everyone wanted me to put my shirt on. So shirts are yeah. on their minds. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh I think there's a video where you're wearing your Jag Bags t-shirt and then you just remove it dramatically. That yeah. will that will goose sales. Oh yeah. I'll get uh, on that. <laughs> uh, I have no shame, as you have witnessed. <laughs> All for the art. That, that yeah. I mean, a lot of uh, jag bags people were taking off their shirts as well, or jag bags hippo horsey people were taking off their shirts. Yeah. And in the case of Jason, he was taking off his pants. I mean, yes. that guy <laughs> was just taking off clothes at the drop of a hat. Just. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh please uh, also subscribe to us we are available wherever most uh wherever most fine podcasts are found and uh thanks very much for listening when you're ready to listen put a little jag bags in your ear <laughs>